This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Greg Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? <laughs> Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Some Escape, I'll give it a B, B plus. On WEEI. Holy, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. Time for another edition of the Skate Pod. You thought you were rid of us. That is incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> Ken Laird here, Matt Calvin at his palatial estate. I'm not sure where Matt lives, but he's there anyway. And where you are at the Skate Pod on Twitter is where you can find us and wherever great podcasts are still downloaded. I think they're still downloaded, Matt. In fact, maybe the podcast industry is booming right about now. It probably should be, right? Uh, we're brought to you by Red River Technology. Red River is enabling customers to transform beyond the expected from the cloud and big data to mobility and cybersecurity. And you need that right now. Red River can meet your business objectives. Thank you to Red River for continuing their coverage of the Skate Podcast. And you can download and subscribe wherever great podcasts are found. iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, Google Play, we are there for you. Now, uh, Matt, the uh, Sunday Skate Edition over the weekend with you, me, and Pete Blackburn was rudely interrupted by a cleaning crew. So we got about, right. uh, that was never even posted. Uh, but I did want to pick up on something there to start that we were uh, chatting about with uh, Pete uh, in terms of uh, postseason awards, assuming this is like the last time we'll see the 2020 Bruins, and that was Team MVP. Uh, remind me again where you stood. Who was the Bruins team MVP of 2020? Yeah, I think I went with Pasternak, and I, I definitely still would go with Pasternak. I think Pete wanted to go with Marsham, but to me, you know, I guess they, they used to say chicks dig the long ball, and I think uh, in my in my case, I dig the, the finishers and the guy who's scoring. You know, he was on pace to, to pass 50, you know, and, and do something that, had, that no Bruin had done in more than 20 years, and you know, it's great that Marshan has emerged as one of the premier playmakers in the league, but to me, Pasternak being the goal scorer, the finisher, the guy who uh, they can you know lean on when they're chips it down and can, can know that he can shoot almost from anywhere in the zone and to have a chance to score, to me, that's that's made the biggest difference in this team, you know, even from last year, to have a guy healthy being a natural goal scorer the way he is. You know, we've talked for years about them not having a natural goal scorer and how much they had to grind to score goals over the years, but this guy, uh, you know, he has a little bit of a grind to his game, but mostly it's just you know, beautiful goals, whether it's beautiful breakaways or beautiful shots. It's a real shame that he uh, is likely not going to get to 50 goals. I mean, I think we all feel like there's a, a distant possibility of playoffs, but but the regular season, I, I mean, what, the chance is almost none, right? They're going to make up regular yeah. season games at this point. Exactly, and then so. uh, there's a lot of a lot of shames that go beyond uh, what this team was doing. But yeah, I mean, you're gonna always you're always going to know that he could have had the 50. But I think you know. The way this the game is going, the way the speed of the game is, the way the, the enforcement of the rules is, it's uh, likely he'll be challenging this this time next year too. I think this is a, a perennial fifty goal scorer, the, the Ovechkin type scorer that uh, every team would love to have. And the best part about it is that he has a supporting cast around him, and he also has you know a, a well rounded game that's come a long way since he came in the league. So you're not going to see, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be much of a drop-off. He's always going to be used in every situation except for penalty kill, and he's a, a threat every time on the ice. If he stays healthy, he'll be doing this every time. And, you know, the, like I said, there's so many uh, regrets over what's going to happen here now. I mean, you know, will we see Chara again? What, what's what's the future hold for some of these other players? It's it's going to be interesting to see if, if they ever get back on the ice at all. I don't, I don't I'm just planning for the worst, and I'll be pleasantly surprised, surprised if they ever do play again, but I, I don't see it happening. 
I'll get back to that point you just made here in a second, but to finish up for pasta, because I, I, I agree with you. I, I wish I, I could debate here. Uh, Marshan had a hell of a season. In fact, at one point, we had done the numbers of primary assists early on of uh, Marshan on pasta goals, and they were there were yeah. plenty of them where he was the primary assist guy. But 20 power play goals, 10 game winners. I know he shoots a, a ton. Like, comparing Pasta's shots to Marchand, I think he about, like doubles them up 300 to 180 right. or something like that. Sure. Obviously, he's the, the trigger man. But still, take away the 20 power play goals, he still equals Marchand in... Uh, actually, because he, he, he would have 28 goals non-power play, and Marchand had 23. So There you go. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's still... I mean, it's, it's not all about goals, but as you say, it's, it is all about goals, and... I think he is the uh, he's the MVP. Did we get into seventh player award? I think we were going to go there. We never actually did. Um, you know, which is usually goes to the guy who showed the most improvement, right? To surprise you the most right. from one year to the next. Last year, I can remember stumping vehemently for Krejci. Yep. I, I guess you know, in a way, you could you can make a case for Pasternak there, um, right? But, but it's you know, uh, that's not typically the way you would go. Who who would be your seventh player? I mean, yeah, the, the Pasternak one seems to make the most sense to me because no one expected him to take this quantum leap and become a 50-goal scorer. I mean, think about it. We were always talking the last couple of years whether Marshand would get 40. Yep. And now, you know, that's completely blown out of the water. Now it's all about Pasternak and how many he's going to get. And uh, if you're thinking about what which way the fans would vote, it would probably might go that way because they usually go for the star power. But it seems that uh, what I've seen on Twitter, and I, and I can't necessarily argue with it, I think people like Brandon Carlo, uh, and the way he's emerged, the way the way he's come on this year, and I don't know how you quantify him exceeding expectations because he does so many things that don't get totaled up on the score sheet. But you know, you could could say that, or you could uh, go again with Halak in the the crazy good year he's had uh, mm-hmm. behind Tuka playing uh, as sparingly as he does. But it's really yeah. hard to. Uh, it's kind of weird now when you're one of the top two or three teams in the league, you don't really have players that are exceeding expectations because the expectations. Are so high on everyone. So yeah, the other two uh, candidates to jump out: Lazan, obviously, although he only played 19 games. Sure. Um, but also Charlie Coyle, I think. Yeah, that that is one that I brought up. People were saying though that he kind of you know fit the bill for what he was. But I don't know. It's again, it goes back to the to the things that don't show up on the score sheet. I mean, he might have the same amount of points that you expected from him, but the way he plays and uh, becoming a not only a penalty killer but also a guy who's played a role in the power play and the way he protects the puck and kind of. Been a jack of all trades, playing some wing this year. I mean, there, yeah, there's definitely an argument to be made for that, and and the fact that also I don't know if this is part of the award, but just he's become kind of a leader on this team, a guy who uh, you know is, is kind of one of the faces of uh, when, when wins or losses. He's out there, you know, taking the brunt of whatever whatever's coming his way media wise. He's uh, he's really embraced being the hometown guy and being one of the the faces of the team. Yeah, I think as you talk there, that's convinced me. Charlie Coyle is the seventh player award. <laughs> he he is um, he is way more than I thought they were going to get from him at the trade deadline. I mean, yeah. Uh, in fact, he was kind of viewed in Minnesota. Wouldn't you say he was kind of viewed as either miscast or a dog? One of the two, like either the system. Yeah, not it wasn't fitting really him or... a dog. It was it was because to me, a dog would say something about effort. It was just that he never would shoot, and that's they true. needed that's him true. to be more of an alpha dog, and he was kind of a passive kind of facilitator, you know, but he also was misused. He didn't get a lot of power play time, especially getting first power play time, and they, they shifted him to center and wing um, every other game, you know. The, the, there, there were certain guys there that would get their minutes, and then he would have to pick up the scraps. And So they clearly didn't whether they didn't think he had the talent to do what he's done now or just weren't going to give him a shot. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely kind of 
you know, I, I, again, when they got him, I didn't think this was going to be a big deal because, A, I've seen so many guys, good players, come here back home and flop on their face, but also from what you heard in, in Minnesota that maybe just those skills are kind of deteriorated. But you think about it, going back to his, his junior days, his college days, this was always supposed to be a guy who was supposed to be a high-end talent, and he was a high first-round draft pick. This is This is kind of what you expected to get. Now, before we get to uh, some of the bleak uh, scenarios that might play out here, Marty Walsh was on our morning show on the Greg Hill Show this week, and I thought it was an interesting response that he had. He brought up, uh, Curtis asked him, has he talked to the local teams? Is there any discussion about playing games, even without fans, in the summer, any timetable? And I thought Walsh would blow it off, and he said, actually, yes, I've been talking to them. I've spoken to uh, the Red Sox, um, the ownership, and, and, and the Red Sox, and the, and the, and the Celtics, and the Bruins. And, and quite honestly, you know, I would love to see, um, it's not my call, but I would love to see some type of sports even played in front of uh, empty stadiums just for people to have a distraction. I think that, you know, we're all, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge sports guy. I love, I love sports. I love hockey. I love basketball. I love watching baseball. I love football. And, and you know, when I go home at night, generally that's what I'm watching. You know, I have the NHL package to watch every game on the West Coast. And not having sports is a huge gap for a lot of people. And, and uh, baseball came out, I think, yesterday that they won't start their season potentially till May. Um, you know, NBA is kind of, I think, hinting at the fact that they might come back June or July, uh, potentially. And the NHL really hasn't said much on it yet. Um, so I think that that's something that, that's something that, um, that, that I think people need. You know, so I think we have to try and, and think about how do we move forward here. Can you see that as a possibility? Now, it, I don't think people would be interested in just like exhibition games so much where you would get like uh, the Providence guys up, the local guys, and split, right. you know, do a draft or something like that. But if the league felt it was safe enough where you just had charter flights and, you know, you quarantined your own players within within their group, I, I, yep. I, I don't know. It's, it seems unlikely, but the fact that you have a mayor saying that and maybe there was some interest in it, uh, could you see that? Well, that's what the playoffs would probably be if they play them at all, right? I right. mean, even if it's a 24-team tournament, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about empty buildings because – you don't know how long this is going to last. And as long as there's not enough tests to go around and people are going to keep popping up with it. And as long as people keep spreading it by not listening to uh, the authorities or, you know, it's, it's going to keep going. And there's no idea like how you will ever, you know, in, within a reasonable amount of time, be able to have people in large gatherings again. Now, the only problem with, with that, even with the 2014 tournament is we've already had one NHL player test positive, And so, right. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I just saw a tweet from Larry Brooks. He he confirmed that no Rangers or Knicks have been tested yet. So if Man. they're not even testing some of these guys, these teams, you don't know how many guys on these teams might have it. I mean, how many teams just connected to Ottawa and Ottawa's locker rooms might have been exposed to it? And it, it certainly doesn't help that they're keeping the name quiet as if it's like upper body injury. Yeah. It's well, great that even in these times, the NHL is sticking to this, you know, <laughs> no, they didn't vague, say vague assessment of things. Yeah. The NBA comes right and tells you the players the NHL is hiding it. I don't know what the point of that well, is, but NBA got a million tests. I mean, I don't know how that yeah. happened, but you know, if you're the Bruins, I, I mean, I'd be worried. You're sharing a facility with the, uh, you know, the Celtics who played the Jazz on that Friday right. night. Right. So uh, exactly. How, how we're we don't know that if the Bruins have been tested. For all we know, you know, something's going on. I mean, sometimes I guess they're saying that it, it takes up to two weeks for the symptoms to even show. Right. So. You have no idea what uh, what might be in store here, and that's why, yeah, that that's, might be what it would look like to have teams just play in an empty building or something at some point, but 
it, it's so far down the road that at what point do you have to just give it up and, and say you can't do it? And I totally, you know, I sympathize with with the uh, with the mayor on that one. Clearly, you know, sports has gotten us through through so many things, but this is this is shutting down sports. That's the whole point of it. It's not like anything we've ever faced. Oh, the other story this week um, was, of course, Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know if you heard he he's heading to Tampa. Um, Who's not, that? Not been much coverage of that, <laughs> but uh. You know, Mookie Betts has left, and um, you brought up the point, I think, uh, as we were texting back and forth, that Pasternak is like the premier player in town now. Uh, That's for sure. I, I saw, well, I saw somebody stumping for, uh, might have been Nick Fryer, was stumping for, or maybe one of the athletic guys for, uh, you know, Tatum, for yeah. the Celtics. And I think those guys would be one, too. My bigger concern would be, if this is a trend, is, have we seen the last of, like, Bergeron? Is he going to suddenly announce his retirement, or Krejci, or Tuca? Or, I mean, I mean, Char obviously is a concern every year that goes by. Yeah. Um, uh, hell, he's in, like, a dangerous category of 40-plus for the coronavirus. Uh, not to wish <laughs> ill on anybody. I am, too. But, right. uh, you know, you're, the older you get here and your immune system goes down. But do you get the sense any of those guys, with the way this has ended, let's say the season's over, and uh, you go at it again next year. Would would they hang it up, or are they would they come back for one final run at least? Yeah, I think they they would definitely. I mean, we know Tuca has one more year left on his contract. We know Patrice has a couple years left. So, yeah. I think these guys are playing it out. I, I don't see Patrice ever leaving. I mean, it's not. Uh, oddly enough, regardless of what you think of the Jacobses, the the core players of this team actually really do get along with him and respect him. I mean, Chara and, and Jeremy Jacobs are like buddies, you know. It's not a case where you're going to have a a Kraft Brady or a Belichick Brady, you know, disagreement or whatever went down there. So right. I think in the case of Patrice and Zidano, they both um, want to stay here. I think they, they they love it here this much. They wouldn't think of, of leaving. Nothing to prove somewhere else, like, like Brady might be thinking. You know, when you come down to Tuca, I guess if the Bruins were to insult him with some sort of extension that – they didn't meet his approval. He, he probably would go somewhere because uh, a goalie of his uh, caliber, especially if a team has a Halak type number two to, to pair with him, he'll definitely get uh, his money and, and get, maybe even get some more years than the Bruins might be willing to go. So, and I don't think he necessarily has that loyalty as far as the way things have gone here, you know, <laughs> for the fan base and some of the the media scrutiny of him. And he'd probably love it to go play somewhere like San Jose or. <laughs> someplace like that where he doesn't have to deal with that as much. But I think the core guys, like I said, they have they they really do have a genuine loyalty to, to to the ownership and the management here. I think they've bought into it for so long. It would I don't think that they'd be going anywhere. I think you know I think Zdeno Chara, assuming he wants it, as soon as he's done, he steps right into a front office position. Well, that'd be interesting. Uh, bumps Neely out. <laughs> maybe he becomes like the heir apparent to Neely, or <laughs> maybe he just does something on the development side. You never know. Yeah. Uh, now, Maria from uh, Watertown was lined up to join us right before we got uh, shoved out of the building on uh, Sunday morning. But she asked this question <laughs> on Twitter, and it's a good one. Could the delay of the season have a potential impact on extending Tory Krug? Or, in fact, you know, I think we should just extend that to the cancellation of the season. And, you know, yeah. has Krug played his last game in a Bruins sweater? That's the crazy part, right? It's going to be, if they decide, depending how long they wait to cancel the season, um, or even if they played that playoff tournament, you're going to have a very short turnaround from the end of it till draft and free agency. And you just got to wonder how much work Don Sweeney has put in to put in some kind of structure here to, to convince Tory to stay. Or if uh, if it's such a short period of time and the, the wooing period comes and, and somebody just throws some crazy money at him, um, it could be gone. I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all goes down. And, um, 
it, there's so many things. You know, we talked about the regrets. I mean, I brought this up on the, I guess, the lost tape of Sunday Skate. But it, it seems to me that the NHL should put some sort of uh, compensation in for teams that traded first-round draft picks for rentals that are not getting any, you know, bang for their buck. Maybe put in like a, a compensatory, a compensatory. Uh, I can't say that word, but anyway, compensatory, a, a compensatory round of the draft. You know, where maybe you you pick like the, the teams that traded first rounders, regardless of, and you just give them a a sandwich pick somewhere between the second and third round or something to just replenish their, you know, replenish their their coffers because. It's kind of not fair that they went all in on a season that's not going to end and got, and got nothing for it. Oh, I see what you mean. Just for one year. Yeah, just for one year to say, yep. you know, here's an extra draft pick somewhere, even if it's at the end. I mean, there's seven rounds of the draft, and, and most teams don't even pay attention to what they're doing in the seventh round. But, I mean, we've seen seven seventh rounders make it. Maybe if you just, instead of having all the guys who don't get drafted free agents, maybe you just give them picks, extra picks in the sixth or seventh round just to have them, you know, have the players become part of their organization without having to bid for them in free agency, it's it's kind of really stinks. And that goes back to, to, to Tory too. It's kind of like he was supposed to be an own rental, right? So you didn't mm-hmm. get your bang for the buck. Does that maybe put more pressure on you to sign him because you, didn't, because you decided to stick with him out, out this way? And it, it's just, you're, again, it seems like the teams, it always comes out as the teams that are competing the most, the teams that are trying the hardest, get penalized, yeah. you know, it's like, well, I don't it, think a team like Ottawa should benefit from this, you know. So. Well, but in the bizarre situation of trading a first to get rid of Bacchus, you would get like a compensatory pick for using a first to get rid of a player. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it. Yeah, it is, it is harder. There'd have to be a lot of negotiation. I mean, they still got a player out of that, right? They, mm-hmm. they got a, a player that they thought, they thought was going to be a difference maker. So, Oh, yeah. Can't wait for the you know, next uh, full year of Andre Kasha. That's, that's, that'll get us through <laughs> this. Uh, this well, level. that's just it. Maybe because Kasha signed, maybe the Bruins wouldn't fall into that category. But if, you, if you're talking, I think I keep thinking about Vancouver and, uh, and Toffoli, and it's just like, geez, you know? Yeah. They just got, you know, they, they decided to do something that most people would, would have suggested they didn't, right? Because so many people thought, well, they're not really competing. What are they doing? But I, I give them credit, just like I gave Columbus credit the year before for going all in. It's like I'd rather you see you trying to win than mm-hmm. trying to play the middle ground or something. Who else and gave then, up first? And, like and a, then this happens. The Islanders gave up a first for Pet Joe. Yep. Um, well, they, they, at least they resigned him, so maybe that's not as, as bad also. But there are just so many th- weird things that kind of happen. It's kind of difficult to to get a feel. I, you know, and actually, even with the draft order, are you just going to dra- you know do the thing of drawing? Drafting the draft order just based on points percentage? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should almost – it almost feel like you should expand the lottery a little bit and just give some other teams a chance to move up, Some make add some spice to this and kind of give some teams benefits. Teams that were playing hard last year, you know, a lot of those teams in, the, in those middle ground teams were, were fighting for playoff spots. Yep. You know, maybe give them a little more of a chance to, to get in that lottery and maybe move up and, and, and reward their efforts because – um, otherwise, you're just you're just kind of rewarding the teams that were tanking last year. Tampa would get a first, uh, you know, or Ken Pence back for the for the Blake Coleman right. uh, trade, which some people felt. Well, he signed too, so maybe you wouldn't yeah. have to. Maybe that not, you know, maybe if we're just looking at rentals, it wouldn't even be that big of an impact. But um, it That's is just kind of interesting theory. Yeah, because uh, it's just kind of weird because like you you know you made all these trades, you make all these moves, and it's just like oh geez, what did what did we do any of this for? You know, it's. At least you'd be glad that you didn't give up like you know a pick for a Kovalchuk because it's like that would that's a total waste around for sure you know. The other part of it is if if they do play in the summer, I saw people in Pittsburgh tweeting about this from my old uh, 
Pittsburgh media colleagues like Jake Gensel may be healthy enough to play. I mean, Chris, yeah. Chris Sale may be pitching and, you know, Gens- yeah, right. Gens- Chris Kreider. Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, uh, Jacob Markstrom, there were a lot of guys. And, you know, even with the Bruins, Carlo and Krug are going to be rested, but they're also going to be out of shape. Out <laughs> That's of shape. the thing, too. I, I just hope the, the Players Association, clearly there's an incent- a financial incentive to come back. There's so much revenue riding on this and so much of the players' compensation is based on revenue. But this is not like coming back after the summer. It's not even like coming after at a lockout. These guys can hardly do anything. Right. Well, Kevin, I mean, how Kevin, many of these Kevin guys Miller. have enough of a home gym to, you know, to, to duplicate what it takes to play hockey, never mind at an NHL level? <laughs> I was going to say, Kevin Miller may be the healthiest guy of the bunch. He'll be like uh, working <laughs> exactly. out up until return date. Now, you put yeah, on. I mean, the... You don't even know if they're going to get to skate anytime. I mean, you can really yeah, have to right. base it on when they can skate at all. And then when you go back and you look at that, the 04 05 lockout that wiped it the whole season, I mean, the, the, guy, the teams came back in 05, and now guys hadn't been training as hard then as they train now in the offseason, but missing a whole season, some of them played in, in some minor leagues, some played overseas, whatever. They came back in those first like three, four months of the 05-06 season was groin injury central. Everyone had a groin injury, so yeah. you know you got to be really careful. You put up a poll on uh, the SkatePod Twitter, who do you think the Bruins' toughest first-round opponent would be? That was a terrible poll because you left you put an other in the category. Yeah. Panthers, Blue Jackets, Islanders, and other. Well, other one, which is still, it's a terrible poll. <laughs> but, and most of the responses were coronavirus is their toughest opponent, of course. Right. Uh, the easy punchline. A couple write-in votes for Carolina. But the Islanders, if you scratch that from the list, would be the winner. 29%. Blue Jackets, 26%. Florida Panthers, 16%. Although E.J. Raddick, uh, our guest last week, said that was his pick for the toughest opponent. Do you think right. – but the, 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 the Hoy Polites say the Islanders, who would be the matchup right now on the point percentage standings, that would be the Bruins' toughest draw, 1-8. Well, I think I think most of the people with other, the ones that weren't coronavirus virus were <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, so yeah. maybe they were they were leaning more toward Carolina, and I think that that might have actually won the poll. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't you know it's hard to pick a toughest because I really don't respect any of the teams that are in that right. that bunch. I mean, you know, Columbus may be the hardest one just based on their work ethic and the fact that. Uh, they just will have nothing to lose type thing. You know, they're, they're kind of a Cinderella team that's kind of hard to face. But the way the Islanders played since the trade deadline and the way uh, Florida was playing, we saw the way the, the Bruins handled them. It's uh, not that scary at all if you think about it. I mean, I guess if you look at Carolina and the way they gained experience last year, that might boost them. But we're not really looking at, like, the Toronto-Tampa danger zone in the first round the way we have in the past couple of years. I mean, the Islanders on paper look like a dangerous team, but the, but the Bruins skunked them four zip that, that afternoon. Yeah, game. and they haven't lost to them in like three years, yeah. so it, it's hard to give them much respect and, um, you know, just they just don't quite have that they don't have that superstar player either that, you, that you're worried about containing, or they, they don't have the superstar goalie, so it's, it's hard to really, you know, get some, much fear for them. Well, you had stories to write about, though, this week because Jeremy Swayman, the Bruins' fourth-round pick from 2017, signed his entry-level contract. His junior season in Maine is done. Wiggy, by the way, was advocating for all these athletes in college to get another year of eligibility, so maybe he'll be a junior oh, again if that's the something case. Something like that. Um, but uh, how big of a deal is this for uh, the Bruins to get him locked up? It's huge because, um, you know, Vladar has, Daniel Vladar has come a long way this year, and uh Kyle Kaiser, the other prospect, has been out most of the year with an injury. So, you know, Swayman could actually leapfrog Kaiser just by signing that deal and get, getting him into the pros and, and getting his experience. That's that's kind of accelerates the process here as far as 
looking forward into a world where they might not have Halak and where Tuca, you know, may or may not be back after next year. So um, it's it's great. I mean, obviously, you know, the stats speak for themselves with him. Now, we saw Zane McIntyre kind of came out of college the same way and was getting every, you know, college goaltender award and put up great numbers and, and kind of flopped as a uh, pro prospect. But it seems like this kid maybe has uh, some of the um, – I don't know, some of the extra tools that uh, Zane didn't have as far as um, just athleticism and, you know, off-ice type demeanor and, and maturity. So it's a big it's a big deal for sure. I mean, now you have a little depth, a little competition in the organization, and you can, you know, plot out things. And I still say they're going to need a veteran uh, for next year, whether it's a lock or someone else, just to, to back up. And you hope that maybe you get somebody on a two-year deal that you can expose to Seattle because they're going to have to start thinking down that, down the road that way and, but uh, it's it's a great sign considering they haven't drafted and developed a goaltender in, in a thousand years, if you think about it. Well, Malcolm Subban, who's uh, yeah, and Andrew Raycroft, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Subban played for Chicago this year, right? He got a couple games in. Yeah, he got traded to Chicago, and uh, there's a reason Vegas traded him. <laughs> he's kind of he kind of never lived up to the billing of the future number one that he was, and that's that's his that's not his fault. Uh, you know, very few people had him going in the first round when the, the Bruins took him, and that never made any sense when they did it. And you wrote about uh, an NCAA free agent defenseman, Nick Wolf. Who is he? Yeah, he's kind of like um, a guy that you don't necessarily see in the game these days. You know, six foot five, two hundred twenty pound, kind of an Adam McQuaid style defenseman. But I guess uh, you know he's worked hard on his game. He came to Bruins development camp two years in a row, so mustn't have been too hard to uh, coax him to coming here. <laughs> Obviously, he had his, his heart set on the Bruins, and when he became a free agent, he signed in practically no time, but uh, played with Carson Coleman at UMD, and so the Bruins love those UMD guys. They're winners, and they're all Carson Coleman-type guys, you know, the guys that the coaches love that do everything right, uh, maybe don't do everything great, but do everything right and do and you know listen to the coach. They're coachable, so again, it adds, adds some depth in the back end. I'm not sure that Guys of that ilk are going to be uh, very useful, but maybe they will be because like we I talk so much about Brendan Dillon, right? I, I don't want to you know talk you know argue with myself on that. Clearly, there's there's space for a guy, a guy like that on every defense core now, and maybe down the road, three two three years from now, maybe he becomes a guy that's at least a sixth or seventh guy. Well, it's interesting times, Matt. We'll see how this goes. Uh, you and I have a, a goal in mind to keep pumping out an episode one a week. We're going to be uh, done with the weekend show here for a little bit. But I hope uh, I hope we do get uh, some stuff to talk about. I thought we had enough this episode. Uh, but I see, like, some of the brethren in our uh, sports media world, the hockey news laid off eight full-timers today. So it's, right. it is scary times out there, my friend. Absolutely. So we'll keep our nose to the grindstone here, and, and hopefully sooner rather than later we get this uh, this virus corralled. Blackburn stabbed us in the back again. How about that? He went on with uh, with Marinovsky yet again. <laughs> Pete, it's not too hard to get Pete to go on a podcast. So. <laughs> he's Let's easy. Just say that he also he's also <laughs> promised uh, since Brady left town to pose a nude picture on uh, on Twitter. Oh God! So I'm sure, we can live up to live down to that billing. I'll have to remember to mute him. <laughs> All right, Matty, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good.